Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm a writer, musician, and filmmaker. On this show, we are going to go ahead and discuss horror and read some horror fiction. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. As you can tell, I'm a little bit sick this week, so I'm going to go ahead and keep this short and sweet. Uh, Happy Boxing Day, by the way, everyone. It is Boxing Day, and in keeping up with December's theme, I watch these movies so you don't have to. I've watched A Christmas Horror Story. Oh yeah, A Christmas Horror Story, combining Christmas and horror in one spectacular movie. Except not really. Well, kind of. We'll get into it. Anyways... So, uh, you, we have American Horror Story. The star power in this movie is none other than the William Shatner. William Shatner has a special place in my heart because he reminds me of my dad. I think everyone has their celebrity doppelganger. And by celebrity doppelganger, I mean it's the person that you kind of look like and happens to be a celebrity. For example, I kind of look like Seth Rogen. I look like so much like Seth Rogen that one time I took a picture of Seth Rogen, put it on my Facebook profile, and no one noticed for a month straight. And then finally, my wife, after about a month, said, is that Seth Rogen? And I was like, ha ha, I do look like Seth Rogen. Whereas my dad looks like William Shatner, I swear. I, I mean, I don't know why. It's kind of cool, actually, growing up with a dad that kind of looks like William Shatner. You know, I mean, think about all those cool Star Trek movies when I was growing up in the 80s. I could see my dad as Captain Kirk. Pretty awesome. However, William Shatner in this movie is not so awesome. I love William Shatner, but I don't like what they did with him in this movie. He's just the DJ. He's literally the narrator of the film. He is a DJ for a small-town radio station that just sort of talks the entire time and kind of has monologues but doesn't really get in any of the stories so you're like really excited you say "Ooh, William Shatner's being in this movie but he doesn't really do anything he just kind of hangs out drinks some eggnog and uh talks a whole lot but is never involved in any of the stories so let's go ahead and get into the stories themselves they have four different stories it's kind of like Tales from the Crypt if anyone has seen those Tales from the Crypt movies they're sort of short stories They have nothing to do with each other. These really have nothing to do with each other other than that they're in the same small town. Uh, So they are sort of threaded together, but not really. The difference between a Tales from the Crypt movie and this movie is that this movie intertwines the beats of the story rather than Tales from the Crypt, where they just tell you the story one right after the other. Whereas this movie kind of says... Here's a little bit of this story, here's a little bit of that story, here's a little bit of the next story, and we'll go ahead and tell them, but they'll never really intersect with each other, other than in ways that doesn't really affect each other. For example, there is one people who are driving to their uh, scary German aunt, and they pass another person who happens to be going on their own story, 
who then their daughter happens to know the people of this other story, right? So it's sort of like they're not really connected, but they are supposed to be connected. Anyways, not too much thought as far as how they're connected, other than that they're in a small town. So let's talk about the story that I thought that had the most potential the story with the most potential, I thought, was this really kind of spooky story where this family goes out into a place where they shouldn't be to get a Christmas tree. They come back. They lose their kid for a little bit. They follow his trail in the woods because it's snow. It's easy to follow your kid's trail if they're lost in the woods. And uh, they come to this tree and their kid comes out of the tree. But guess what? Uh, not their kid. It's actually some weird little changeling that looks like their kid. It's kind of a creepy story. There's this one scene where the kid just keeps eating and eating and eating. And it could have been this really cool scene where the kid kept eating and eating and eating. And they're like, why is this kid eating so much? But they really just sort of pawned it off to the reader, or I guess the listener and the watcher of the movie in this case, where they said, oh, by the way, he ate three bowls before this one. Whereas me, as a moviegoer, I want to see him eat those three bowls. That's kind of creepy, right? The parents just keep feeding their kid over and over. At first, it's like, oh, yay, he's eating. Oh, this is great. Uh, trust me, I'm a parent. I know it's exciting when your kids eat. Uh, however, you know, once it gets to an over ridiculous amount, three bowls, whatever it is, lots of spaghetti... Uh, yeah, no, that gets a little creepy, and they kind of missed that, and I felt that was kind of the problem with that story in the begin with, because they had all these really potentially cool moments that were kind of missed, and in fact, they even kind of went a little bit of Oedipus with it, and so, you know, uh, not to spoil Oedipus Rex for you, but if you didn't know, Oedipus basically wanted to do his mother, and it's kind of gross, and yes, it's an ancient Greek play, and well, the weird, creepy kid they bring home has this scene where he crawls into bed with his mother and starts, well, nothing too explicit, but enough to gross you out and not really spook you. And that's where I kind of draw the line when it comes to horror. I want to be spooked. I don't necessarily want to go, ugh, that's kind of gross. And so I felt that sort of crossed the line a little bit there. But overall, aside from these minor glitches in that story, I thought that story was pretty cool, had a lot of potential. Uh, another moment in the movie that I really liked was this point where they walk, where in this other story, these group of teenagers walk into a school. There's a scary ghost that killed a bunch of people. Of course, we've seen this story a bunch of times before. But they walk into this room that has all the nativity seen people locked in a storage facility and it's really kind of spooky and scary seeing those nativity people at night and so i thought that was kind of cool oh and by the way the star power of that story is uh the teenage girl within this group of teenagers that are kind of going through this building uh she happens to be a minor character cult girl number one in this show Orphan Black and if you haven't seen Orphan Black go watch Orphan Black I'm literally not going to tell you anything about Orphan Black other than it's one of the best shows I've ever seen and if I tell you anything about it I spoil it and this is the one time I do not want to spoil it Orphan Black is an amazing show and 
the main character of one of the stories, the story where they all go into school, happens to be also this weird cult girl in Orphan Black. So, yes, as you can tell right now, I love seeing when I go, oh yeah, I saw that person in this other thing. And it was a minor character in this other thing, but I remember them. I have a very good talent for, uh, I guess, remembering faces. I don't remember faces all the time, but usually my wife is always pretty surprised. Where I'm like, oh yeah, that was the person that played this weird, obscure role in this other movie. And I don't know why I do that. I just do that. So, anyways, I hope you enjoy that kind of stuff. So, uh, let's see. So we have the creepy, cool... Uh, Switch kid story, then you have the sort of we've seen it before story of the uh of the haunted school, and then finally you have the other two stories where there's a Krampus story, and of course we just saw a Krampus movie not a year before this, uh and it I would say the other Krampus movie did Krampus more uh justice, I would say, than this particular movie. Uh, it was a little lackluster. In fact, I don't even remember much about the Krampus, so I'm going to go ahead and skip over it. And then, finally, you have the last story, which was the Santa versus Zombie Elves. Oh, yeah. Santa versus Zombie Elves. That was the one I was most excited about. For some reason, it's a lot of weird zombie things this December, and I thought, here we go, another zombie thing. Zombie Elves, bring it on. And I was a little bit lackluster once again. The problem, I think, with this one is that you started with the first elf that was bitten, and then you skip ahead to suddenly he's being chased by a bunch of zombie elves. They missed a couple beats in between where the plague kind of spreads. I think that's the fun of zombie movies, is seeing how the plague spreads, how the chaos happens, how everything falls apart. It's just suddenly Santa's workshop is great, fine and dandy, and then suddenly Santa's workshop is this weird demonic uh, elf hell, and there was no sort of beats in between, which I, you know, it's, the zombie narrative is about the crumbling of society, and darn it, I want to see society crumble, whether it be Santa's workshop or our actual society. Uh, so that was the, uh, that story. By the way, I'm not going to spoil you with that story, because there is a surprise ending to the zombie elf story, Surprisingly enough, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like, you know, a Sixth Sense type of surprise. It's not exactly like, whoa, my mind's blown right now. I've been incepted like five times over. My inception is so going crazy. It is just sort of like, oh, yeah, that was different. But, you know, you're going to have to see the movie to see what that surprise is. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and I'm going to go ahead and do tuners. And in case you're worried, oh my god, he's going to blow out, blow out his voice during tuners, I actually rec recorded tuners before I recorded this segment. So, my voice is actually going to get magically better through the magic of editing. So, woohoo, tuners is up next. Thank you. Chapter 6 
John practiced his calligraphy on the whiteboard his father had set up near the dinner table. John's father was always trying to teach him as much as possible about China during mealtime. The lessons and the lectures were always so boring. However, he was barely listening and a little sloppy on his technique. He was still shaking from the incident at the mall when he came home. He wanted to tell his father everything, but he knew his dad wouldn't believe him. So John kept it all inside and decided to bear mealtime instead. By the time dinner was half over, his old man had told him he was unfocused, distracted, and his technique was all wrong. It was a typical response from his father. Rather than asking him what was wrong, John got scolded for not doing it right. It was no wonder John never talked about his feelings after his mother and sister died. His father was too concerned with having John turn out to be the perfect son and didn't seem to care to know why when he wasn't. John felt so much pressure from his dad. It felt like he couldn't do anything right. John got a B on his report card one time and he was grounded for almost a whole summer. We've practiced this, John's father said. You are holding the marker too hard. Light strokes. John threw the marker away and yelled, I'm sick of this. When am I ever going to use Chinese calligraphy? We have computers, Dad. It's your culture. You need to preserve your culture. Yeah, well, Mom died because he wanted to preserve our culture. John regretted the moment he said it. The trips to China had always been his father's idea, but John knew it was absurd to blame his dad for a plane crash. Dad, I... You are excused, his father said, tears welling up in his eyes. Dad, you are excused, his father yelled. John knew the conversation was over. He ran upstairs to his bedroom and slammed the door. He paced back and forth. Dealing with an overbearing father was the least thing he wanted right now. He knew the comment was out of line, but at the same time his dad wouldn't just let him be. If his father really cared about him, maybe he would have asked questions about his day over dinner rather than shoveling knowledge down his throat. John put on his headphones and turned the music up loud. He was still stewing over the incident with his father when he saw something down below in the backyard. His house was a two-story house, and all the children's bedrooms were on the upper floor. His sister's room was now a guest room, and John could hear the uncle, who always came to America, snoring through the walls. When he saw the shape again in the backyard, he walked over to the window. It looked like a black streak across the grass. A bench was built near the window. It had stuffed animals on it in the times before. John had won them over the years because he was good at carnival games. Now, it was a place for his backpack and skateboard. Though he had lost the board earlier that day, the animals collected dust in boxes in his basement where the Berenstein Bears books laid. There were a couple more black streaks across the lawn going towards his house. The song in his headphones was some oldies 80s tune. John had an eclectic taste of music. He didn't really stick to one genre, but had all sorts on his phone. Before he could figure out the black streaks on the lawn, a loud cracking and a hum buzzed through his ears. The noise was familiar. He had heard the sound earlier that day. It was the same noise he had heard outside the Forever 21 in a spot where Abby had disappeared. He'd realized the hum must be associated with travelers between universes. Had the realization happened a split second later, he didn't even want to imagine what would have happened. 
John stepped back and a man burst into the space that John had just occupied. The man cried out and ejected a blade from his hand. The man was dressed all in black and had a scar on his forehead. This one looked more elite than the others he encountered earlier. He was wearing an armor that looked like bones more than armor. Another blade ejected from the other hand. Blood dropped from a tear in the skin. John stumbled towards his desk. The man slashed and John ducked. The other blade came down fast and John used his keyboard as a shield. The blade cracked and the keyboard cut in half. It nicked John. Another blade went straight for his gut and John dodged. The blade went into the monitor and the assailant shuddered from the electricity pulsing through the shattered screen. John used a momentary distraction to grab a baseball bat from his closet and thwack the guy upside the head. The man grunted and tried to pull his arm from the computer monitor. John cracked the baseball bat several times before he dropped. John grabbed his backpack and ran down the stairs. He heard glass shattering. His father screamed. He ran as fast as he could towards his father's workshop, opened the door to a grisly scene. There were several more men in black armor. Two were holding his father down, and a third twisted a blade into his gut. Blood spilled onto the workshop floor. Where's the tuna? The man interrogated. I don't know what... His father choked and spat up blood. John crept into the room. He lifted the bat above his head and walked towards the men torturing his dad. You can't fight them? John's dad blew the element of surprise. You must run, John! Run! Run! The men turned and saw John. They dropped his dad onto the floor. John ran back towards the house. He slammed the workshop door behind him and locked it. A blade stabbed through the door and John dashed down the hallway towards the kitchen. He saw that there was a set of knives he could use. Despite his dad's advice about not fighting them, he didn't really have a better plan. The black streaks outside were probably more flunkies. He was about to dial 911 as he ran, when two more red flashes appeared between him and the kitchen. The scarred men in the bone armor ejected their blades and went towards him. From behind, the men were almost through the workshop door. John lifted his baseball bat. It took him forever to take one down, much less five of them. Just as John was prepared to go down swinging, the skylight in his living room shattered, and a girl jumped through and landed on the floor between John and his attackers. She was wearing a blue plaid skirt and a white button-up shirt. She had two daggers and was crouched in an attack stance. John recognized her at once. It was Abby. The men seemed to recognize her too. They hesitated. Two more winked into existence. The men cried out and attacked. Abby was quick. No sooner had she slashed the throat of one, but she vaulted off the man she had downed and stabbed the other two in the head. She threw her dagger at the fourth, and it stuck in his neck, and he tumbled to the ground at John's feet. The workshop door burst open, and John whipped around to the attackers from behind. He saw another guy. It was a black man in trendy clothing, probably around the same age as John. He was twirling a pair of nunchucks, deflecting blows of all three men who had assaulted John's father. The black man was quick. His hands were almost blurred at the speed he was moving. The attacks that took out two of the attackers were so quick that John couldn't really see them. 
A third run the opposite way down the hall towards his parents' room and was impaled on the blade of a sword. From around the corner, a girl with beautiful brown skin and dark curly hair was holding a sword in each hand. She was wearing clothes that exposed her midriff. John noticed the blade from the bone-armored man was damaged and mangled. There was a bruise on her stomach where the blade had impacted. The black man went to comfort her and she pushed him away. I'm fine, she said, inspecting the bruise. I guess I want to break out the summer wardrobe. She kicked the body of the man off her and she sheathed her weapons. Before John was able to say anything, there was a loud crash at his front door. The door flew off his hinges and landed a few feet away from him. Another teen, a white guy wearing a heavy metal t-shirt, burst through the hole that used to be his front door. He held a war hammer high that was twice the size of him. Where's the meat? Pickles it and eats tenderizing. The guy yelled with his war hammer at the ready. We already took care of him, Meat Hook, Abby said, and you really need a better line. Meat Hook the Tenderizer. Abby rolled her eyes. Before she could say anything to John, he came to his senses. Dad, he yelled and pushed past the people in the hallway and ran towards his father. The scene was terrible. The garage door looked like it was torn off its hinges. John's dad lay on the floor in a pool of his own blood. John screamed and knelt by his father. His father breathed in quick, short gasps. The black guy was there by John's side. If you want him to live, you're going to do everything I say. DeAndre, by the way, he held out his hand. John. John could barely get his hand out. Okay, John. Now, I want you to apply pressure here. Patel, get in here. The Indian girl with the swords and the stomach bruise was by their side. Fine, Ludi, DeAndre commanded. We need his supplies. On it, Patel said and hopped out of the broken garage door. John, DeAndre said. We need to wrap the wound. Do you have bed sheets? I'll call 911, John said. No, DeAndre said. There is nothing you can do. You will not be safe in the hospital. But just listen to me. There are bed sheets down the hall in my parents' room, John said. But before John could do or say anything else, DeAndre was gone and back with bed treats. They began to dress the wound. After the wound was secure, Patel arrived with a pudgy white kid. He was younger than all the, than all the rest of them and out of breath. Ludi didn't seem to carry a weapon, but he certainly seemed to have enough supplies. He was wearing a backpack, several fanny packs, arm packs, and even leg packs. Ludi pulled a syringe from one and several bandages from another. He went to work on John's dad with the equipment that came from the various bags. DeAndre pulled John away and said, Let him work. The kid's a genius. Abby and Meathook sauntered into the room. They seemed to be in the middle of a light-hearted argument. Meathook said, said while he swung around his giant hammer, What if I call it the War Hammer of Thunder? No, Abby said. Justice? No. Kill painter. I don't even know what that means. Kill painter. It kills and causes pain. Isn't dying painful? And why can't you just call it a war hammer? John cut them off. Who the hell are you people? Before she could answer, John's dad cried out in pain, and John turned back to him. Ludi turned to Abby and said, There isn't much I can do for him here. 
We're going to have to tune him back to HQ. Do you know how to drive a car? Abby said to John. Yeah, but I don't got my license. My dad won't let me get it until I turn 18. Can you get us to the mall? Abby said. Yeah, but we should be getting him to hospital. Look, you're lucky we caught your little traffic stint earlier on the U-Net scanners. If I didn't piece it together that it was you from the mall last week, we may not even been here to save you, much less your father. Do what we say now, and you can ask all the questions you want later. You saw me hop that bus? John said. Well, actually, Ludie said, we saw the video of the man disappearing on YouTube, and you're in the background, and I had to delete it with a pair argument. What did I say about questions? Abby said. I'll get my father's keys, John said, and went to his parents' room. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you haven't checked out any of the other fun RPA shows, you really should. There's some cool ghost stories on Mondays, there's me on Tuesdays, and there are some mysterious moments on Wednesdays. And of course, don't forget the Sandman's lullaby. Of course, you don't know when that one's coming, you just have to subscribe to find out. Anyways, you can check me at Aaron's Horror Show at Facebook. You can check me at Aaron Horror Show at Twitter or Send me an email, aaronshorrorshow at gmail.com. All right, thank you, and I'll see you next year.